and welcome back to This Week in Events, where every week we cover news, tech and insights from the world's meetings, conferences and corporate events. My name is Maria Franzoni, International Speaker Bureau owner and... And I'm James Taylor, keynote speaker and founder of Speakers You. Welcome to episode two of This Week in Events. And if you're joining us for the first time, you're in for an absolute treat. We're going to be covering uh, some really cool maybe controversial topics today as well, but that's part of the thing. So as as we're kind of going through this, please leave comments, questions, what are your thoughts on it? The more, the merrier. So we're going to be talking about We Make Events and what that's all about, what's been happening for the Global Action Day. We're going to be talking about studio kits, who provides them, who pays for them, for, for speakers, for events. And then finally, we're going to be very topical, event moderators after the presidential the u.s presidential uh debate that happened this week we're going to be talking about the role of moderators so uh are you ready maria shall we get into the show oh i am so ready i've been really looking forward to this all week after we survived last week (laughs) thank you for all your lovely comments for everyone uh wonderful comments and thank you so much for uh for kind of coming here and being with us and this is wonderful. So this is what we what we want this community. So the first story we thought we'd cover is we make events. Hashtag we make events. So this is something I a couple of my friends who are in the events industry kind of started telling me about, and then it really came to a kind of head yesterday where they had something called the Global Action Day. And this is all the people that are involved in doing events. Primarily, it's it's uh, Europe and North America, although it's a bit more kind of global than that. They've kind of come together in order to try to put pressure on national governments to support the events industry. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of amazing. I, they, they shared some stats, which I didn't really know about. In the UK alone, this industry, of which we're all part, the events industry, is worth nearly £100 billion a year. That, that kind of blew my mind. Wow. I don't know if you well, that. In this country. Just in this country. In this country just wow. in, the, in the UK. So I think when we kind of looked into it, you broke that down, the part that we're mostly involved in, you and I, Maria, which is conferences and events, corporate events, that's about 18 billion pounds, about 25 $25 million every single year. So what's been kind of going on is in order to try and raise um, the consciousness of politicians around the world about the role of events and how much we contribute to national economies, this organization came together last night. They lit up lots of buildings all around the world in red uh, in order to kind of highlight the, the events industry. Um, and really what they're they're kind of fighting for as an industry is just to be recognized for the value that we put in and to get some kind of support. So depending on where you're watching from today, uh, Maria and I were based in the UK and here in the UK, a lot of we can't really do conferences just now. Um, in-person conferences is just not possible at the moment. But we've essentially, as an industry, we've been told we can't do anything. But yet, at the same time, we're not really getting support. So an interesting kind of thing came up this last week, actually, uh, which was kind of talking about, is this industry and our many jobs in this industry even viable anymore? So the person that puts up that staging of the stage that you go and speak on, is that a viable job anymore if we're not going to return to this? So, Maria, what's been your take on Because I know you've been kind of watching it as well, and you're obviously involved. And I, I almost feel that sometimes as a speaker, we're in this kind of position where, you know, we're that one person on stage, 
but there's like 200 people behind the stage that are making it happen. And, and, and people don't see those, you know, all those teams. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this came out from uh, our Chancellor's um, speech where he was um, sharing the extension of the job retention scheme. And he was saying that the jobs would, that would be protected and the industries that would be protected, those that were viable. And yet there are industries and organisations that have been told, you cannot, you cannot work, you cannot do anything. They'd be, we, we, I mean, we've been closed down. And today in the news in the UK, um, other areas, other regions have been told that they have got tighter restrictions, um, Liverpool, Warrington, Hartley, Paul Middlesbrough. We're hearing also that India is, is really having a really bad time. So we're, we're sending virtual hugs to our Indian friends and colleagues. They're having a, a hard time. Italy seems to be having a better time. But so so my take on this is I feel I feel a little bit abandoned, to be honest with you, James. Mm -hmm. I feel abandoned. So I'm a, um, a limited company director and I couldn't furlough myself because I was dealing with events that were postponing and changing and cancelling. So I've had to work through this, but at the same time, we've not been able to do the business that we would normally do. Okay, yes, we've gone virtual and, and, and all that, but you're absolutely right in terms of the events industry. I've seen our colleagues in, in the meetings and events organizations, they're absolutely suffering. It's, it's, it's really hard out there. So I, I'm wondering, because I, I was actually out with a, not out, I was on a socially distanced cycle at the weekend with a friend. Um, and he has a different opinion. He's probably a bit more of a libertarian about things. And he said, this is just creative destruction, James. This industry needs to do a lot of jobs, need to go in this industry and new jobs will be created as a result. But if the government tries to come in and support jobs that are perhaps never really going to come back, that's going to be a bad thing. Taxpayers have to pay for that as well. So what's your take on that, Maria? Well, I think it is a it's a really difficult one. I would not want to be in the government's position having to make these decisions. But I do think that um, I do think that di directors of businesses who are especially small businesses who are the backbone of our our, our country um, need some help and support, because if we don't get help and support, we can't keep our staff. We can't do it. If we go under, everybody else goes under. So I think, and actually um, there's a letter that's gone out from uh, the Director General of the Institute of Directors here in the UK to their members. Um, and, you know, John uh, Geldart, who's saying the government's response continues to leave many limited company directors out of the main income support schemes, something that the IOD has stressed since the start of the crisis. And I agree with him. And it's even worse. It's a double whammy if you're actually in the hospitality or conference and meeting industry. I think it's yeah. very hard. And I mean, it's interesting as we're kind of going through this, I was I was just on a call earlier today as we we're doing a pre-event call with a, with a client. It's in, in the, the client's in the Middle East. This is normally that their big annual conference of the year, about 500 people attending. They have 26 speakers and mm. they're doing it all virtually with 26 speakers. And and I'm, I'm actually the moderator of this particular event. And I'm looking at how they've designed it. And so it's all virtual and I'm looking and the stages look amazing. And there's the different demo areas. They look phenomenal. And the sponsors areas look incredible. And the speeches I've seen that have been pre-recorded look phenomenal because they're, they're really well done. And I think that same event that's probably been run now by five people, roughly, would have taken 50, 100 people to run in the real world. And I kind of think about all those. And I think, and I had a conversation with a friend of mine who, who does, uh, who books conferences for his industry association. And he said, they're never going to go. They don't want to go back to the way it was. They'll maybe instead of doing like five events a year, they're going to do one 
in-person event a year and then the rest of them will be virtual so the are these jobs really ever going to come back that's interesting. We've actually got a comment. We've got a comment from Gary who says there are lots of online conferences happening, but venues, tech teams, event producers, catering are all terribly affected. And we've been told not to say a certain word by someone <laughs> who's very naughty. So I'm not going to read it because I'm not going to say the word. OK, word don't shall, say it. shall not be mentioned. No, you're, ab you're absolutely right uh, uh, about that. But, you know, so so my, my heart is kind of going out to all of our AV teams or the event producers and don't even get into the world of things like weddings because that's a whole other oh, area. Don't. So, don't no, no, no. No. Well, you know we had to cancel hours. Yeah. No, no. Yes. But dates are being booked, speakers are being booked. And on that note, uh, I'd like to just take a quick moment to thank uh, one of our sponsors today, who is London Speaker Bureau. London Speaker Bureau is a global resource for corporations and governments for keynote speakers, executive learning masterclasses, and boardroom advisors. Representing some of the most influential business leaders and politicians in the world, they were named as the only global speaker bureau by International New York Times. You can find help in choosing a speaker for your next event by going to londonspeakerbureau.com. So thank you very much for the kind folks at London Speaker Bureau for coming on board. Shall we get into our next little story for today? Yes, let's do that. Let's do that. We're talking tech, aren't we? Tech. Geek, let's geek out. So you 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 sourced this story, and I thought this was kind of interesting. So give give us all a little bit of the kind of uh, how this kind of came about. It, it actually came about um, from London Speaker Bureau. One of the exclusive speakers, a VIP speaker, was offered a a studio in a box. Uh, for his next presentation. So um, rather than having to go out to go to a studio, the company booking him said, we'll send you a studio and all the equipment arrives literally in a box. Uh, you have green screen, you have lights, you have um, microphone, camera, the works, and you just plug it all in. So plug and play. And I thought, what an excellent idea. And I think there's even more than one camera. There's various different options that you can choose. And so my question was, I mean, I know what I, I think, I'm, I'm wondering from your point of view you know is it the speaker's responsibility or is it the organizer's responsibility to organize the tech i mean we know in the old days and the old ways or, or is it both well this is this is my take on it is if if you are a our class as a professional speaker so you make the majority of your your income from speaking professionally virtually in person whatever um then i feel that you should be providing that equipment and you should have a studio and in fact some of my my friend other speaker friends they've invested over a hundred thousand dollars just in their studio so the studio is great and it's, it's broadcast quality however if you're let's say you're an economist or a, you know a ceo or chairperson of, of a company or you're just an expert you're an academic but you're not speaking all the time speaking is just like a little part of what you do i, I really don't think that you should really be investing in like lots and lots of equipment. I think that's where it maybe comes in for the client to provide, depending on what they want. So I was doing an event the other week and I was uh, a professional speaker on it, but there were some other speakers who were really good experts in their area. And what the client did is they actually sent full film crews to their homes and to their offices and they filmed everything there. And so the speaker just turned up themselves and just did their thing, but they didn't have to invest in all that equipment because we know it's a, it's a little bit of a minefield when it comes to the, the equipment side of things. 
Okay, so we've got a comment um, from a Facebook user. We don't always see the names on the mm -hmm. Facebook, but it says, uh, depends on the level of the production and if the people putting the conference together want to de-risk potential tech issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Um, Chuck says, Gary, totally agree. Virtual works for this COVID time. Are you really expecting everything to go virtual? Closed venues, hotels, human interaction is always going to be wanted and needed. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Facebook user, virtual is starting to get more complex and move away from just using zoom true yeah so here's my take on it i think yes it is the client's responsibility to make sure that the um, speaker has everything they need in order to look great and fantastic however i do think that the speaker should be using a decent camera of sorts anyway for briefing calls uh etc i think it's the speaker should be professional if you're going to turn up for a face-to-face -face meeting, you're going to be professional. You're going to wear your suit. You're going to look smart. You're going to look the best you can. So therefore, you owe it to the client to do that when you're on a Zoom call or some kind of meeting too, that you should have great camera, great lighting, great sound, and not be wearing your pink bunny slippers, um, yeah. although maybe they can't see that. And I think when it comes to technical, two things we may should separate out is one is the actual you know, the lights and the camera and all that side. The other one is the connection, you know, the internet. Mm. Um, like, so, for example, just now I've got hardwired connection and I have a backup and I actually have a third backup as well because I'm doing a lot of things live. But, you know, the event I've got coming up, there's like 26 speakers, probably only five to 10 of those are actually doing it live. The majority are pre-recorded because that takes out a lot of the stress for that that production company, that events company. It means they've, they've got them, they've got them already. They can just kind of fire them up when they need to. So I think it also depends on... Do you need to go live? And, and the kits that you sent me, Maria, they're actually great because they can do both. It, it's like you can do it all live and and you know you're, you're, you're pretty solid as long as you have an internet connection. Yeah, fantastic. You are all belt and braces, aren't you? I bet you do. Do you wear a belt and braces? Uh, no, I, uh, braces. We need, we need to get this week in events braces. That's what's next. <laughs> so we've got some comments here. So we're getting, um, yeah. they don't want to go back. Indeed, they're saving money on travel, food, accommodation, whatever compassion we have for stage builders, chefs, airlines, gala dinner experts, mm. uh, money talks. Uh, the change wasn't necessarily going to happen, but it has happened. It's a very good point. Um, Scott is saying spot on. I see too much nose hair. <laughs> That depends who you're looking at, I think. Henry Rose says, I am with James. I think it's good to have a studio if you're a professional speaker. And so we do that. Uh, we have our own. We do that in our. We have. Uh, <laughs> anyway, because it's one of our main ways of earning. And yet I also love the studio in a box. What a wonderful idea. 20 years yeah. ago, they could do an airport in a box. I'm not kidding. What? Really? What? Really? Okay. Well, talking about video and film, we want to give a quick shout out to uh, a new sponsor that we have for this week, Neil Armstrong Films. This is someone that Maria works with, with a lot of her, her speakers as well. So Neil Armstrong Films provide a range of media from animation and 3D video graphics through to commercials and films for both uh, business communication, so that's internal, external events as well. They can also do all of your training films, your conference videos, your website films, and last but no means least, speaker showreels, which we love. So their team is experienced, they're talented, they're flexible as well as being really warm, friendly, and fun to work with. You can learn more by going to neilarmstrongfilms.com. I know, Maria, you work with them all the time. We do, we do. Listen, I've just discovered something by accident. But look, look at this. I can put, I can put the, I can put oh. the comments on the bottom. Look, 
Buckle up, you're getting braces. I didn't know I could do that. So we can do that now, you see. And and, and Henry Rose is saying, yes, really, an airport in a box. Wow. How cool is that? How cool is that? So our third little story of the day is, uh, we're not going to get too political here, um, but there was the US presidential uh, debate that happened this week. And it was... It was spicy, let's say. Um, and Chris Wallace there was the moderator from uh, Fox News. And uh, it's a tough job, uh, moderation. So, uh, Maria, I want to get your take on it first. But, you know, first of all, what was your take on that, the role of the moderator? How, how did you think he did? Well, well, actually, what's interesting, James, because I thought it was very sad that we had three old white men representing the US. And I think mm. he should have been a she, mm. to yeah. be honest with you. Um, and maybe a young she, mm. and um, and maybe a black she. Um, I think it was really not representative and, and that was really sad. And I think it was three old men behaving like three-year-olds. Mm. It was terrible. I don't, I don't think the moderator did a good job, but I also don't think that uh, either, either participant did a good job. I think everybody was disrespectful, to be honest with you. And it's hard. I mean, as coming up for this, I knew we'd be talking about this today. Um, I kind of look back in the history of these presidential debates, and the very first one was uh, Abraham Lincoln and uh, Douglas, who was one of the who was the, one of the other candidate on the other side, on the Democratic side. And there was actually this was the very first debate. I think they had four or five of them in a row, and a lot of people attended. Like thousands of people were attending these, and there was no moderator, which blew my mind and as I was looking into it I suddenly realized that and I've been to those events myself as well a friend of mine Majid Nawaz who does stuff for LBC in in London the radio show with uh, um, another speaker called Sam Harris who talks about mindfulness and meditation and they go and they do these like tens of thousands of people arenas huge venues and there's no moderator and I was thinking well, well, how can they do that how can it work and it for me it kind of comes down to respect mm. They respect each other. They might they disagree with each other, but they respect for each other. And and at that point, if you have that kind of mutual respect, then you have the basis to be able to kind of argue and debate either side. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and incidentally, on the news today, it was reported that Trump interrupted Biden 70 times. Could you believe that? 70 times in, in what was it? 90 minutes? Was that right? Yeah. About that? Yeah, I must. I didn't stay up. I didn't stay up to watch it live because I, I guess based based upon the rules that they'd set, it was going to be pretty bad as well. I mean, and this, you know, I think when I think about moderation, as you know, I do a lot of kind of moder moderating events, and they're, they're not always the easiest, especially with virtual as well, um, mm. because another there's a technical side that comes into it. And I think I look at those people who I think do it usually very well. Uh, I, I watched the other day uh, on Newsnight on the BBC. And Emily Maitlis, who's usually fantastic as a moderator, and she's journalistic, so she's asking questions. She's maybe got two or three people who have got very different opinions, and she's pulling out those strands and being and challenging all of them, which she should be as a journalist. But she actually did, you know, one of the, the most common errors I see moderators doing. I've done it myself as well, where if you have two or three people on the screen, they can't see you, so they're only hearing you often. And I think she said something, she asked a question and by not saying the person's name, none of the guests knew <laughs> who she was asking the question to. So suddenly everyone starts ah, 
ask, asking as well. So, um, so it's definitely worth if you're doing moderation, just kind of watching really good moderators and seeing how they do it. And some of them would lead with. I think you mentioned this about leading with the name. You like them leading with the name first. Yeah, yeah. I, I like people leading with my name if I'm in the group because I might not be paying attention. I might be, for example, reading the comments. Which is, I'm going to see if I can do. It. Look here, you are. Look, I put it there. There you go. Look. Look at this. We get a picture. We get a name. This is great. I only just yeah. discovered this bit of tech. This might be my tool of the week. I might change it. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. So our discourse adjusts to the popular media. Hence the debate becoming a highly emotional, a very low substance, mudslinging competition. It absolutely it did become that, which is a, such a shame. Such a shame. Now, Maria, you represent some very, very high-profile speakers, and clients come to you because you represent. You work with some very high-profile VIP speakers. Um, and I wondered, like, when when they're asked to do like a fireside chat or moderation, do those speakers always want the questions in advance so they can prepare for them, or are they kind of happy just to kind of go with the flow and be kind of more improvisational? Some do, and some don't. So if it's a speaker who might have um, a controversial past or might have a uh, an experience experience or expertise where they can't talk about everything, there might be things that they cannot talk about, uh, then yes, you have to have all of the questions checked in advance. Um, and some prefer to have them checked in advance just to ensure that it's on topic and it's relevant and they're happy to talk about it. Uh, and others are happy to go with the flow. It's very much a personal thing um, with the VIPs, very much a personal thing. But uh, more often than not, it's the intermediary who wants to check and do the due diligence more than the actual person who's being asked the question because they're experienced in being asked awkward questions and avoiding them uh, in their <laughs> lives, of course. But it's the intermediary who's trying to protect, do their job and, and uh, you know, uh, make sure that they have a job by protecting their uh, their VIP. It's hard because I, I often think, you know, that the number one thing of uh, someone that's doing an event is, um, if they're the event manager for a particular event, is like the number one thing is don't get fired. Um, mm. You know, you're, you're part of your role is you're de-risking things as well and i've come up with well, i've had to moderate events um and it's gone through like five different the questions have gone through five different layers from corporate comms to their investor people to the ceo to their and by the end of it the question that you thought was a really good question has ended up in this speak that you can there's no resemblance to what you originally wanted to ask in the first place but yeah that's, you're ending up asking what they had for breakfast yeah i know i know so here's here's yeah, so here's an interesting question here. I noticed the BBC are using the mute button a lot. Should moderators have a mute button? I think certainly they needed a mute button in the debate. Uh, what, what's your view? Should you have a mute button? This is the benefit of virtual. I, I know we've, we see sometimes that virtual is the, is the poor relation to in-person virtually. With virtual, it's actually quite nice to be able to go and like, and it just, so I believe in the next series of US presidential debates, there will be a mute button. Uh, well, be, is this going to be any other presidential debates? I don't know. Maybe they've decided maybe this is not the, the format that they, they want anymore. Well, you know, I found it fascinating that there's an actual commission that oversees the US presidential debate. I didn't know that. And they're changing the rules because of what happened this week. Surely they don't shouldn't need to change the rules because people behaved badly. They just need to sort of slap their wrists. But anyway, let's see what other comments we've got. We've also oh. got a comment here from Scott, seeing Douglas Murray moderating Peterson and Harris, great job. Yeah, Douglas Murray, he, I mean, D Douglas is quite spiky. Uh, so uh, he's, and he, I'm sure he would gonna go for those kind of questions. 
Yeah. Do I? I'm going to. I'm going to show this, but we're not allowed to say it. All right. Oh, sorry. Wrong one. Wrong one. Wrong one. There's a. There's a. There was a message here. Oh, where is it? Here we are. This is the one. Don't say it. Don't say it. Okay. We just show just like it in Shakespeare. If you work in the theatre, you're not allowed to say. Yes, certain things. You know, I'm loving loving this new gadget that I could put. So so actually talking about gadgets, we always at the end of each uh, episode and thanks for everyone's comments as well and questions and just keep keep, please keep them coming. Um, We always do our tool of the week. So we should probably explain what this is, Maria, what the tool of the week is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a tool of the week is either an app or a gadget that um, that James and I have discovered or are using and think is fantastic, or it's a person who's a total tool. Now I just have a person who's a total tool, but actually I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the uh, with an app instead. <laughs> Aren't I boring? But before we do that, there are some more comments. Look, they're still coming in. They're flooding in. Uh, this one has flooded in. Increased production, lower costs. All bosses want this. COVID has mm-hmm. delivered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, it's true as well. But I would I would say so in terms of production value, absolutely. Um, I still find uh, my wife was attending a conference, a virtual conference recently for her industry. She's in the, in the legal field. And it, it was an incredibly boring conference. Uh, I, I sat and I kind of as a, as a I kind of watched I could watch over her shoulder and I thought, who is curating this? You know, this is like, in, and we want this more experiential because the way I feel with virtual, uh, we're not with virtual events. We're not competing with other events anymore. We're competing with Netflix. We're competing with computer games. So it's, it's a it's a different way of way of thinking. So tools. Let's talk about our tools of the week. Uh, I'll go my my one, which I'm loving, is Ecam Pro. In fact, I'm using Ecam. I believe you're using yeah, Ecam. Yeah, so Ecam Live, the Pro version. Yes. Yes. So and this is we look so good. Yeah, it's like all these green screen things and do all this kind of fancy stuff. And we're probably using one percent of the functionality of it. But they have a new version coming out soon, or maybe today. I think it is interview style, so you can bring people in, do shows like we're doing just now. Super, super easy. Um, the only thing I would say is if you are going to use eCam, make sure your computer is powerful enough. I tried to use it on my laptop initially, and it sounded like a seven four seven trying to take off. So that's that's mm-hmm. the only proviso I would give. So that's mm-hmm. eCam Live, and we're going to have all the links to all of these things we're mentioning at uh, thisweekinevents.com as well. So Maria, what's your tool of the week? Well, my tool of the week um, is actually um, anchor.fm, which is a wonderful podcast hosting platform. And it's just so easy to use. And in fact, we have turned This Week in Events into a podcast. So people can listen in if they want it on the go. If they don't want to watch our, and see our beautiful faces, they can hear our wonderful voices instead. And so um, it's just incredibly easy to use. Love it. And it's free. So we're, so we're now on in the interwebs as a podcast, we will go to, if you go to Spotify now, I know it's kind of gone through that. At some point soon, we'll be able to ask our Alexa apps, I'm sure, to play the show. Maybe that's coming up next week. Maybe we have that for you next week. So we'll put all these links here as well. I just want to get, before we start to finish up, just final thanks to our sponsors this week. Uh, London Speaker Bureau, thank you very much for coming on board and sponsoring. And also Neil Armstrong Films. Good Neil Armstrong Films. Dot com. So I think we're pretty much up. Do we have any kind of final comments from anyone? I'll let you read the comments this okay. time, shall I? So uh, when moderating online, if the audience are invited to post questions and chat, I like to have a wing woman to WhatsApp me. Exactly. That's a great just Jerry, uh, of good questions so I can focus on the discussions facilitating. 
that is a really, really good point. I that's I do exactly the same thing because uh, otherwise I end up finding I'm squinting my eyes trying to see like I'm doing. <laughs> doing you're letting that. me. You're letting me do all the squinting. I noticed. I noticed. And we've got one more from Alison as well. Yep. In my world, online conferences are competing with simultaneous bread making. <laughs> no competition. No, I know. No. I know which. I, I know which I can prefer. So. Uh, well, thank you everyone for coming and joining us for another week of This Week in Events. My name is James Taylor, keynote speaker and founder of Speakers You. And that's James Taylor. Sorry, I'm Maria Franzoni. <laughs> Goodbye from me. Okay, have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye-bye.